Welcome back to the Global Innovation Summit by IdeaGen 2020. Excited to have KPMG's Mark Fitzgerald and Mike Hayes with us today. Mark and Mike, welcome. Thank you, George, and uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Mark Fitzgerald. I'm a principal in KPMG in the US. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Mike Hayes. He is our global head of renewables. Uh, we'd like to take the next 10 or 15 minutes or so to have a, an important discussion around climate change, uh, and particularly in the age of COVID uh, and what uh, considerations or consequences COVID has had on the climate change agenda and discussion. Uh, so let's dive straight in. Uh, Mike, if we can start by a level set, uh, if we can bring you back to January, uh, and particularly the Davos uh, meeting at the end of January. And it was clear there that climate change was a dominant topic. Indeed, it was the majority of the key risks that uh, the World Economic Forum identified uh, in this year's Davos. Uh, if you can kind of paint that picture for us in terms of the context of the climate change agenda, and then bring us forward the next uh, three or so months, and, and here we now are in early June, and the world looks very different, uh, and perhaps how the climate change agenda and discussion has also been altered. Thank you, Mark, and uh, you, you um, bring back some very happy memories where I was able to meet people and socialize in Davos, which seems like an age ago. Um, it was only the end of January, and I, had the great pleasure of being one of the KPMG representatives of Davos this year. And I came away from Davos this year very, very enthusiastic about where the world was going on climate change. I've been involved in this industry for over 20 years, um, very much back to the late 1990s when the whole renewable revolution started. In those days, we just talked about the ozone layer um, and eventually climate change entered into the, into the popular um, terminology. Um, many years of frustration and waiting for the world to really recognize what was happening. And I always felt it was too few of us really championing this whole agenda and understanding the risks that are inherently involved on the climate agenda. Roll forward to 2019 at Davos. So that year, um, it very much started to rise up to the top of the agenda. But by Davos 2020, um, everybody was talking about it. But more importantly, people were starting to recognize the real risks you know, that, that, that lay with climate change. And we talk about physical risks and we talk about transition risks. But whether it was representatives from the private sector, from listed companies, uh, global citizens, governments, and multilateral institutions, real recognition that we had crossed the Rubicon on climate change. We were going to stop talking about it. The focus was on solutions, and there's lots of incredible work going on around the world. Now, for me, Mark, it wasn't just Davos. Um, I would say in KPMG, over the last six to nine months, we had noticed a really fundamental shift in the corporate world. You know, corporates you know, started to talk about and embrace things like the ESG agenda, and the investment community would talk about responsible investment for a number of years. But I have to say, in the last six to nine months, everything changed. And for a number of different reasons, corporates started to react to climate change and more particularly started to focus on what we call the decarbonization agenda and started taking meaningful actions on this agenda. And why was this? I, I would say a number of different reasons. I think the pressure that we're getting from their own stakeholders, in particular their shareholders, was a predominant but not the only feature of this. 
Um, the second one was employees, and we would have seen this at certain big U.S. technology companies, where employees really started to demand action from their from their employers on this agenda. And thirdly, but by no means least, supply chains, and you know, different parts of a supply chain would exercise pressure or influence, whatever you want to say, on on corporate customers. So what we had seen, Mark, was was really a fundamental shift in literally throughout the world, and, and I work a lot with, with U.S. headquarter corporations, very much in the U.S., but also everywhere else, where we had gone beyond the talking phase into actually figuring out what were the actions we needed to take around climate change. So th th that was, so I'm starting off this discussion trying to paint a somewhat happy picture and a, you know, a, a maybe a, a rose-tinted picture of what the agenda looked like. So I, as we moved past Davos um, at the end of January, I was incredibly optimistic and enthused about where we were going on, 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 this, on this whole journey. So, Mike, I just want to come back to three areas that you highlighted just there. Uh, risk, financing and solutions. Uh, maybe you can unpack those, uh, those three areas a little bit more. Uh, let's start with risk. Uh, certainly the risk dynamic in terms of the linkages between mis uh, risk mitigation and business strategy has been present for many years. Uh, and you've highlighted the kind of uh, inclusion and expansion of climate with respect to that agenda. Uh, COVID is now part of that as well. And I think it's fair to say, certainly in the corporate world, but increasingly so in the public sector arena as well, uh, something like a pandemic was a known unknown, if I could put it that way. Uh, it was relatively low probability, but high impact. But it wasn't an unknown unknown. Uh, so how do we now uh, connect COVID and, uh, uh, and, and the risk agenda within the corporate boardroom uh, and see how it will um, play out in terms of how corporates will respond to that uh, particular impact uh, and, and, and align it with climate in line with the, the overview you just provided. Then if we get into financing, uh, if you can maybe say a few words with respect to, you mentioned stimulus packages uh, or relief packages as they were in the very first phase uh, and how that will start to have uh, you know, an influence with respect to the uh, climate agenda. And then um, you know, once we've done that, perhaps we can come back and touch on uh, the solutions you're already seeing put in place, but also what we then might see in terms of how that will change uh, over time. But let's start with risk uh, to, to, to start. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a there's a lot in there, um, and all all good and very relevant points, Mark. So let's take the risk point, and I actually want to make a very important distinction between COVID nineteen and climate change. First of all, just to highlight, while COVID nineteen is a risk, there's a slightly different type of risk and a more fundamental risk with climate change. With COVID-19, as you know, there's been a lot of debate and discussion around the question of a vaccine. And God willing, we will have a vaccine in place you know, sometime, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. However, I've been known to make the quote, there is no vaccine for climate change. And the problem with climate change is we will the only vaccine is by taking action now. When climate change really starts to bite, and when we get past the point where everybody now sees it as a fundamental risk, which will happen and in the not too distant future, the problem is that it, it will be too late to take action then. This is why people like myself and various global organizations, you know, and I'd highlight somebody like Mark Carney, you know, the former governor of the Bank of England, now climate change 
uh, commissioner with the with the United Nations and many others across the world, including in, in the United States, have been highlighting just how serious this stuff is. But, you know, unfortunately, none of these people have been listened to. I hope we now learn that with COVID-19, at least, we will get to a solution. But but the parallel with climate change differs in this one respect. We better take action today on climate change or nothing's going to happen. So the risk issue is is now, as I said a couple of minutes ago, very much part of the corporate agenda. And clearly, it's very much part of the public sector agenda as well. Because in KPMG, we get asked by public sector to actually identify and measure climate risk as much as um, we do from the private sector. The big challenge we have on the risk area, Mark, is, is actually measuring and quantifying it. Everybody likes to put a figure on it. Now, for me, you know, I'd like to point out to a corporate client, you, you are carrying a very fundamental climate risk on your books. But when it comes to measuring that, that is actually a more challenging thing because you've got to look not just at the physical impact of climate change, but you've got to look at the impact it has on the business of that corporate. It's got to look at what it means for its employees, its investor base, and also, more importantly, its supply chain and its own business models. Business models are going to change fundamentally because of climate change. But again, I go back to the parallels. What are we seeing with COVID-19? Business models will change as a result of COVID-19. So we're really, you know, COVID-19 and while there are lots of negatives, it's actually shone a light into the real issues we, we will have to think about over the next number of years on climate change. So there are going to be a lot of boardroom discussions, Mark, addressing in the more immediate term the COVID-19 risk, but over the longer term the climate risk. So let me just park the risk question and you asked me to deal about you know the, the financing environment and, and solutions. And I want to make a number of points about financing in particular and two different aspects. You know, if I go back to the climate agenda, I've always said the climate agenda is actually only, really only about three fundamental areas we should be focusing on to do something. The first one is government policy. The second one is mobilization of capital to actually affect the solutions that we're talking about. And the third one is innovation. And as you know, from many previous discussions, Mark, I feel very, very passionate about innovation, but that's not the discussion for today. But it is, if we're going to get to the so-called net zero society in however number of years, it is not going to happen without innovation. I want to come back to the other two points I made, mobilization of capital and government policy. And there's huge confusion here. Governments keep thinking that their job is to provide the capital to actually make the sort of the transformative changes that are required to affect climate change. Yes, we require government to provide some capital, but the reality is, is that the private capital markets are more than willing to step up to the plate and provide the funding to actually finance all of the different transformative new model business solutions we're going to need to implement. However, they will only do that when the right type of government policies and legislation are in place. So actually, you know, governments think that they have to embrace both the policy and the funding piece of it. My message to governments is please, please think, certainly over the longer term, please think about policy because without the right policy environment, the private investment world will not participate. I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we don't need public money. We absolutely do, but but, to, but we need to be using that public money to leverage private money. So having made that point, I do want to come back to the more immediate term where, you know, everybody's going to think twice about spending money, certainly over the short term, and why you mentioned um, in your opening monologue about, you know, 
recovery packages and the so-called green recovery. Um, I am delighted to say that in my own part of the world, in Europe, the European Union is once again taking the lead. They are making it very clear that their stimulus package is going to be fully baked into their, to their so-called Green Deal. And we will actually, over the next number of weeks, see a number of announcements from the European Union on this. I think they're leading the way and they're showing governments all over the world the way it needs to be done. Because if we really believe in the risk around climate change, spending a whole set of new billions, if not trillions, rebuilding our economies and in particular focusing on infrastructure investment without understanding climate, climate risk and the green agenda, then it, it's money going down the drain as far as I'm concerned, because it's something we'd have to revisit. So for me, that is an incredibly encouraging development. Um, and a number of other governments around Europe and elsewhere are actually thinking along similar lines. Yeah. So the that is the, the financing piece of all this market. And then you keep, you come to the solutions and probably probably the toughest question of all, because um, you know it's it's not that simple to just decarbonize your business or if you're a country or a municipality to decarbonize your region. But the good news is there are actually lots of different solutions out there. And I'd also make the point that some of these solutions actually involve saving money rather than spending new money. I'll give you two examples just to, to reinforce this point. Um, we're all well aware of corporates around the world um, converting from conventional energy to renewable energy and the so-called desire to be 100% renewable. The point that is not made often enough, in my opinion, is that because we have now reduced the cost of, re of delivering renewable power so much over the last five to 10 years, implementing these corporate renewable power purchase agreements at a corporate level will actually, in our experience, reduce your electricity bill and provide long-term pricing certainty as well, because you're, you're, you're actually buying into a fixed contract price for a particular period of years. The other example, and the one that probably causes me the greatest frustration in terms of solutions to climate change, is energy efficiency. Here again is an area where if the right energy efficiency technologies are deployed in corporates right throughout the world, time and time again, we've seen that it actually reduces costs, reduces energy costs, and, um, and by extension, reduces emissions from, from the use of fossil fuel-based electricity. It is still a sore point for me that not enough corporates actually have embraced the possibilities around those two areas. So looking back to the wider area of solutions, there's a lot of different solutions, Mark, and we, we probably don't have time to get into all of the detail here. Um, I've mentioned two of them. Um, the other one, the other area that really excites me is this concept of a circular economy, which is taking what was previously waste, which we might have sent to something like a landfill, and actually using new technology tools, understanding the composition of that waste and understanding the role and the possibilities for converting that waste into new manufactured products, allowing that same waste to re-enter the cycle again, rather than being used as landfill waste or, and resulting in further emissions. So um, lots of lots of potential around solutions, lots of focus as well, I should say, Mark, on the measurement of carbon. And people are getting better and better and more focused on actually understanding the carbon emissions from every single part of their business, because that's important in terms of your interactions with shareholders, with the financial community and others. And the better and the more sophisticated we get at measuring carbon, the more focused we will come on delivering solutions. Thanks, Mike. And you know, what I'm hearing is really a, a lot of normal discussion around what you would expect to 
here in a corporate boardroom uh, within executive management um, that would have probably excluded issues around climate five or 10 years ago. What I'm hearing from you as you went through that kind of overview of risk discussion and analysis, uh, financing in terms of the revenue flows and, and, and how you can bring efficiency, uh, job creation, economic growth and development into that uh, agenda. And then you highlighted some solutions. What I'm really hearing is you know, a, a lot of kind of business as usual uh, discussion, tone uh, and examples. So maybe to conclude uh, th this uh, power discussion on climate uh, in the age of COVID, perhaps you can, you know, uh, give your overall insights of how you th think this discussion, this agenda will evolve uh, over the next 12 to 24 months uh, in the context of everything that you you've summarized for us so well. Um, and not forgetting, of course, what we've all been through over the last three months. Yep, um, very happy to do that, uh, Mark. Um, so, you know, going back to, to my description of my moods on this on this interview, where I s spoke about my optimism at the you know at Davos in Switzerland this year, my sense of desperation and frustration once the realities of COVID nineteen began to strike, and subsequently, as we've gone through the crisis, my renewed sense of optimism and purpose about the climate agenda. So. Um, I think the climate agenda is going to continue to grow and grow over the next 12 to 24 months. I think it's going to come at three different levels, Mark. I think corporates responding to pressures from their various stakeholders, but also, to be fair, corporates understanding that it is the right thing to do is going to drive the agenda. And I want to, I'm going to come back to something which I think is very significant that some corporates are doing in a second. Um, secondly, the fact that governments are immediately thinking of climate in the context of stimulus packages is very encouraging. And I believe that governments are going to play a continuing active role together with organizations like the United Nations and the European Union in driving the climate agenda. And thirdly, I have spoken at length about what I call climate consciousness amongst the global citizenship. People in the street understand the climate agenda better than many people have given them credit for. So I think we're going to increasingly again, post COVID-19, along with health, see the climate agenda rise to the top. I don't think the populations around the world are going to tolerate inaction on something which they now understand can impact on their future. So I wanna come back to one particular point, Mark, if I could, which is something that's been around for years, but it's now becoming much more pronounced. And there are leading corporations, and I, I won't name names, but some of the biggest and best known corporations, particularly in the US market, are doing something that I think is very significant. They are really driving change, not just in their own organizations, but right across their supply chain. They are now saying, we are not going to deal with you as a participant in our supply chain unless you meet certain standards. And they're in reality imposing their own standards on their supply chain. And I'd say, well done, that is the way to go because it's only when real pressure and ultimately pressure is often financial is brought to bear on people who are not participating on this agenda will we drive real change. So that for me is one of the big things that we're gonna see more and more of and more large corporations are gonna are going to participate in this. We're seeing, by the way, Mark, something similar in the financial world 
where central banks and organizations like the European Union are actually take behind the scenes, taking meaningful action to redirect and reorientate flows of finance from unsustainable to sustainable business activities. So I'm now back to where I was in January 2020. Um, yes, we've suffered a terrible, terrible couple of months and we should never forget it. But equally, we need now to focus on the climate agenda going forward. Excellent, Mike. Well, with that very balanced yet optimistic outlook, uh, I wish to thank you for your insights today and thank you to the audience uh, for your participation. Thank you.